Welcome to Equestrian Movement's Best Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our first Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling, and husbandry, or an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement. Thanks for joining us for part two of our chat with Amy Skinner. I absolutely adored the information and knowledge that she shared. There's so many hidden gems and little pieces to the puzzle that go towards creating a beautiful partnership with our horses. Make sure you check out last week's episode, which was part one of this conversation with Amy. Without further ado, let's continue the conversation. Going, circling back around to rhythm, rhythm was something that I got stuck on personally for a really long time. When I started riding multiple horses is like I had the same horse for like a lot of my teen years, like when I was just, um, you know, not really riding professionally, just doing it as my kind of sport and hobby. And then I went into doing it professionally and I was riding a range of horses. In particular, I had small like stock horse quarter horse cross stallion a big warm blood and then a really fine thoroughbred cross stock horse that was like really anxious and Mm -hmm. being able to adapt not only how to work with those different personality types but also like adapting to the different rhythms like I you know would go on the little stallion to the big warm blood and be like, well, they don't feel the same. <laughs> of course they're not going <laughs> to feel the same. And so then I ended up, you know, rushing his paces rather than mm. feeling comfortable in his, like, naturally he had, like, a more slow and steady gait because he had more ground coverage and he had longer legs. So it's, mm-hmm. like, being able to find the horse's individual rhythm is absolutely critical to their soundness is like trying to create forwardness by rushing them and pushing them out of their natural gait and out of their mm-hmm. natural rhythm has such a big impact on their soundness. Yeah, that's a really important topic. And that's something that I, I took forever to learn. And it was so hard for me to learn. It was just so painful to learn. <laughs> it was like every horse that you get, what, where do they need to be at? You know, cause I have a quarter horse, I have a Morgan and I have a Lusitano and like, one of my teacher would be like, you need to lengthen the stride. This is way under tempo, way under tempo. And I'd get on the next one, start rushing him. She'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Slow it down. Slow it down. <laughs> like, what do you want from me? <laughs> but now like it's, it's, it's clear as day. Sometimes when I look at a horse, I'm like under tempo or over tempo. Right. But like, where do they need to be to get there? And how do you decide that? I haven't found a clear way to teach that 
I don't really exactly know how you find it. It's just sort of this feeling thing, but like whatever makes their neck come into the middle and out, that's mm-hmm. the place. Yeah. Right. Whatever opens, that's the place. But if they're kind of bobbing their head up and down, that's not the place. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. you know, <clears throat> we do we do a little bit of like um, slow them down and speed them up because mm-hmm. like a lot of horses, you know, if you've got let's air quote, if we were labeling horses, if you've got a lazy horse and you can end mm-hmm. up like overriding them and, and trying to push them out and you don't feel comfortable in that slower pace versus you know the the rushing horses you're always like trying to hold them back and you're always trying to slow them down so you never feel comfortable in in that more forward pace and we do lots of like what does what do they feel like if they're slow what do they feel like if they're forward where's the the middle ground and then if you like let go of their mouth and you do nothing like what what do they feel like but even then like you can have them to like and that's where you have to come back to that mental relaxation as well right it's like they can't get physical relaxation without mental relaxation and so mm-hmm. you hit that mental relaxation so that you can drop that buckle and they can hit that pace and they can hold it that's a very educated horse at that point like that's not a green yeah horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I explain to my riders a lot is they're like, well, when I let go of the reins, he wandered off course. And I'm like, because he's not strong enough to stay straight or like super educated to your seat. Like you're going to have to help him and desire to have him just stay perfectly on course on on the buckle for a long period of time is way ahead of where he's at. You know, it's something you continually, I don't, I don't remember what level you're cantering and and you uber striking, but like it's what third level. Uh, I don't know how your levels work. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, okay. I well, don't it's a very advanced, advanced thing. Yeah. yeah, to give to give the reins and have the horse stay straight and on frame is like pretty advanced, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I forget you don't have levels down there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's asking a lot. So, to have mm-hmm. the ability to stay focused mentally and physically for the rider to keep the horse on course is hard mm-hmm. to teach. Mm-hmm. And to vary the to vary the length of stride and the speeds a lot is also very important, but at the starting place it's like where is the one that we can get together in? And then how do I develop a horse who can be like a slinky and contract and expand, you know? So good. Love it. Yeah, that definitely was another one of the big, oh my God, I got stuck on it for so long. Bat and rising trot diagonals and cannelies. I remember coming home from lessons with my mom and we'd go, can you see the rising trot diagonal yet? And we're like, no. She's like, can you? No. <laughs> but definitely being able to adapt the length of stride just from your seat alone. I remember spending years trying to figure that out and just like getting hammered by my instructor because I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would like be trying to like hold myself and like trying to count slightly slower than the stride was going. And <laughs> I don't really know what that changing point was where I, I had that influence over them, but it was definitely after that, that I really had to start being very careful of how I was riding mm. and being more gentle and refined because at that point I just had so much influence over the horse that, you know, if mm. I, wasn't careful with them I was gonna break them or they were gonna fall over I have the opposite problem because I'm just like la 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 so <laughs> relax <laughs> do whatever you want <laughs> my teacher's like are you ever gonna bring this horse onto the haunches I'm like I don't know maybe tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> like I um, think it makes me a really good young horse rider because I'm like yeah. yay we're going good job yeah. <laughs> but when it when it comes to more refined movements I have to remember to like you know, tone up a little bit. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. this is a lot harder. Yeah, I have to use myself. What? I just want to stay on. 
<laughs> Can we just go back to Loose Rain Canner? Yeah. Good boy for turning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much easier. Let's let's put a dog in front and they can chase the dog and then we <laughs> I actually did that. I had a horse that would not go. It was a baby horse I had to start and my dog came into the arena and he started to follow. And I was just like my dog started running away and I was like, Follow the dog. Yeah. And it was the best first ride ever. Yeah. Yeah, so good. I love it. Ah. Oh, so good talking to you and having so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think really comes across with the work that you're doing is that you seem to really love teaching and really love working with your students. Yeah, I love teaching. I think that it's extremely important, but I didn't used to like it or be good at it. And I realized through being lectured by some older people (laughs) 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 who I respect and admire, but I realized that, you know, it doesn't matter at all if I can get along with a horse because it's not benefiting anyone else after the horse goes home, you know? So if I really, really want horses to do well, I have to teach. And teaching is, I think, the central thing that I can offer. Because, you know, I'm an okay rider. I'm not a super gifted rider. I work very hard on my riding, but I'm I'm not super talented, you know? But I think that teaching is something that I'm, I'm pretty good at helping people understand how to interact with their horse in a, in a little bit more conscious way. Mm. So... That's why I think my my influence really can be is in helping people, helping people learn. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, just learning how to ride a horse is, it's it's never ending. It's like as soon as you think you've got like one skill down, you know, you've got three new things that you're trying to achieve. I was actually talking to one of my friends about this the other day because it's like such a classic horse person problem is that that it's like that kind of internal torture that we put on ourselves of like <laughs> we've always got something that we're not good enough at and that we need to improve yeah. and it's just like <laughs> I don't know if other people get this problem that the horse people have I think so I think if they're any good they don't ever think they're good enough yeah I think if they're not good they think that they already know you know but yeah. I know what you mean where you're you're never, every time you semi-accomplish something, there's the next skill that you have to work at. And it's just, like you said, it's self-torture. Like, <laughs> I'll never get there, but I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like so much of the inner work required to keep going and to stay committed to the path and to keep coming back and refining how to stop a horse. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I remember like riding Grand Prix movements when I met my teacher and she was like, this is all garbage. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) She's like, not, not once, not once did your horse's back move. And and so, you know, she took me completely apart, helped me relearn how to use my leg, my hand, like everything that I was doing was micromanaging and just pulling and pushing the horse into these positions. Mm. And I didn't really understand how to ride these movements, you know? And so I had to like ride on the loose rein, ride with no leg, ride with no hand. And, you know, and I remember at one point she was like, your leg's getting really quiet. So why don't you ride a 20 meter circle and stay down here? And I was like, I can't turn and stay loose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that's too much. I can stay loose or I can turn. I can't do them together. (laughs) It was just like, I had this panic where like, I used to do canter pirouettes and like one tempies. And now I'm like, I can't turn. I don't know how to turn. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's so true. And it's, you know, such a a testament to like the lack of, you know, critical thought that goes into like teaching people starting out is like, 
you're not teaching people starting out with that end project in mind you're just kind of like getting them going on the horse and then you know like me I was 20 years into my training and realized that my body was stuck to the left and so mm-hmm. I had like zero range of movement through my body to the right and you know I'll have students that have been riding for a year or two and they're just like getting the hang of keeping their legs still and now they have to be able to rotate their upper body so that they can correctly direct the horse and it's just it's so challenging to have that stability of your lower body with Mm -hmm. the ability of your upper body so that you're like communicating effectively and clearly when you're moving with the horse Mm -hmm. yep it's pretty crazy the amount of coordination and athleticism required for riding and you know how many of us just go straight to pulling and kicking and manipulating you know and we don't really ever grasp the ability to coordinate your entire body with another body that also has to coordinate its body with your body you know and and that's why I was so deeply offended by my teacher because she was like not any of this is real (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean look at all the fancy things I can do and she was like you're not really writing (laughs) and I was like oh now I get it you know it was years years into it I started to understand what writing really meant it wasn't just sitting up there and making shapes you know it's actually integrating into the movement and you know everybody thinks they're doing it until they realize they're not so yeah yeah, for sure. One of the things when I was a kid, I, I had my third horse as a teenager. He was absolutely rank. Like I couldn't tie him up, couldn't get Brian in, couldn't touch his ears, couldn't touch his nose, couldn't catch him. Like all these issues. Go him out after a year of having him to our first competition. And someone was like, oh, I recognize that horse. It used to be an awesome Bronco on the rodeo circuit. And it's been, he's obviously like being bucked out and flipped as a show horse and sold to us for a lot of money as a show horse. And so I got really good at hanging on to like these bucking behaviors and and whatnot Mm -hmm. and confident with like riding through those issues. And at that time I was like, well, if you need to lunge your horse, you just don't know how to ride. And it wasn't until I started breaking horses in and and re-educating horses and stuff like that where I really started to develop an appreciation that the groundwork isn't about just like running the hot out of your horse running the buck out of your horse but it's like you know that's where you're really gonna start developing some language where you know we kind of brush over the fact that the horse actually has to understand what we're trying to get them to do and that's where I see like a lot of people in their riding like contorting into these weird shapes in their body because they're like throwing the horse off balance into the movement and throwing yeah their body into weird shapes to try and throw their horse into these movements yeah where what's really lacking is just communication and and the clarity of that communication from human to horse which again is like such a huge trajectory of education required from the horse as well yeah I, I really don't think people factor in enough of how much the horse has to understand to be able to do these things because not one of these movements makes any sense for a horse to want to want to do with somebody on them you know so if if they don't have any motivation to do them because they don't make sense if they don't understand what they're going to do then of course you have to muscle them into it because there's no there's no motivation and there's no understanding you know why on earth would a horse want to half pass out in the pasture you know like why would they want to voluntarily exercise outside of just feeling fresh and feeling good you know so 
Oh, all writing, all good writing is basically getting from point A to point B in the most energy expending way possible. And that's just the opposite of a horse's nature, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Probably the human nature as well. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think that I think people really don't understand how much athleticism is required for them to ride well either. You know, they just look at hours logged as experience and they don't really learn the skill sets like coordinating your upper body and your legs like you're talking about. I had to relearn that recently because I've been riding my entire life and I didn't understand that I couldn't do the two together and I was just muscling my way through, you know? Yeah, for sure. I keep relearning that as well. Yeah, all the time. (laughs) And I recently learned that my eyes don't work in sync with my head, right? Like, so my eyes are moving faster than my head and I'm like, oh my God, where does this end? Like, (laughs) how bad does this get that I have to relearn how to look and turn my head and turn my torso? Like, it's just, they can't go on. It's too much. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That body awareness is, is never ending, isn't it? The, and the other thing that I can see like kind of comes up quite a lot is especially when we watch like a lot of groundwork training and trainers doing groundwork and whatnot where mm-hmm. the cueing and the behavior get like lumped into the same issue. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, maybe the behavioral problem that you're having is that you need to adapt the way that you're asking the horse to do something so that it's better received or so that they understand mm-hmm. it better. You know, the horse's own ability to emotionally self-regulate and be emotionally agile is separate to their understanding of the age and as soon as we have that like behavioral issue then you you know quite often you see that there's just an escalation of pressure that's going to fix it and so you're just working mm-hmm. the pressure to like get the behavior that you want but it's not supporting the horse's ability to stay in a state of mental relaxation because we're lumping the behavior, the emotional state and the cue all into the same problem. We really need to like tease those things out for the horse. I really think the easiest way to decide what's like behavioral and what's cueing problem is to let another trainer work with your training horse and like watch the, you know, cause everybody, every trainer has their thing. And I've, I've had times where like another trainer has taken one of my horses and asked my horse in a totally new way that the horse is not used to and then of course every trainer has the list of like assessment of your horse immediately like oh he's not very balanced he's not very focused you know he's not interested in listening at all you know whatever whatever they come up with like their assessment we all do that yeah but you know I know perfectly well that horse can turn left, turn right, stop, go, but I hand him to a new person and the horse is like, what are you asking me? And then, you know, you realize very quickly that it's not a behavioral problem. It's a new language. He doesn't speak that language yet, you know, and we're just so quick to, to, to label those things as misbehaviors or uninterest in listening when the horse doesn't, it's slapped with a new language suddenly and they haven't even caught up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is so challenging. It's like definitely one of the biggest challenges for the school horses to maintain confidence and engagement in their training is to have so many different people on their back, you know, using yeah. the same language, but they're using their body differently. So it comes across as yeah. different mm-hmm. words. One of the horses that I had on breaking, one of the things that I do with breaking is I my canna leads are <clears throat> from my legs more than my seat to begin with, mm-hmm. just to try and keep my 
seat off their back a little bit, a little softer and Mm -hmm. to give them clarity around the cantilevers is like my outside leg. I used to to the horse to say, get ready. We're about to do something different. And then I Mm -hmm. use the inside leg for the strike off so that if we have to do a simple change, the clarity of the cantilevers is easier to the horse. If we have to do Mm -hmm. the canter transition on a ladder, the clarity of the cantilever is there for the horse that it's like on that mark and to wait until that leg comes on to get the strike off and then I mm-hmm. had the horse that I was breaking in <laughs> it was ridden by a different trainer at a show who was all seat aids and, and no leg aids and she was like this horse is training is trash it doesn't even know the correct canna lead like she kept <laughs> getting the wrong canna lead because she was using her seat to get into the canna yeah um, yeah well, she knows her cantilevers. It's just that you're asking her differently to the the way that I ask her, and so she's getting confused and she's hollowing her back out away from your seat because she hasn't learned how to, you know, move her back into your seat yet because she's only like four months broken in as well. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's you know while we try the horses don't read the textbook. Like we can have right right textbook of aids that we're supposed to learn and the way that we're supposed to do it but the horses don't read it and it comes down to us and how effectively we can communicate to them what we want from the way that we're using our body yeah yeah no true I mean even if two trainers had the same theory and the same handbook they were studying my body and your body would never feel the same so even within the same set of aids we're using you have to adjust to another body you know, so I think it's it's pretty amazing how much horses adapt to and how much they tolerate and, yeah. and do despite not understanding, you know, yeah, for sure. And I thought about this one time when I, I went to Spain and I got on this horse and he started like furiously Spanish walking. And I was like, what did I do? I pushed a button, you know, and he's yeah. like, then do you want me to pee off? And I'm like, get how do I get out of this? Like he's stuck, <laughs> you know, and he's just like offering me every trick he knew. And I realized that he has so many people ride him. He was just like, what do you want? You know, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And it kind of made me feel bad that he was just like, it's got to be one of these, you know, (laughs) they always want something. (laughs) It's got to be one of these. Yeah. 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 There's so much that we, that we expect of our horses, which brings us into like the next topic is, you know, one of the things that you were saying is most programs assume that your horse is sound and emotionally regulated. And Mm -hmm. that is such, you know, the problem right with like working with behavioral issues with the horse anytime yeah. I go out to a problem behavior I don't think I've been to a problem behavior yet that has not been a soundness issue yeah yeah in retrospect a lot of the ones that I thought were behavior problems I just didn't know enough at the time you know yeah for sure but yeah I I get a lot of people who are like you know we're working on shoulder and to strengthen this horse and I'm like you your horse is lame, unable to carry weight behind, doesn't understand what the leg means. Like there's no possible way the shoulder is going to benefit. Even if you could wrangle him into it, it's not going to benefit him. You know, and it's, there's nothing wrong with shoulder in. I love shoulder in, but he's not prepared for shoulder in because we have to address his soundness, his ability to communicate with you, all the layering in things. And so people go and they look for strengthening exercises or training exercises, but they are starting, assuming they're starting at one when they're starting at like negative 10. You know what I mean? So I always call that right exercise, wrong time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was what you were talking about. Even just, I don't think we even consider, you know, our horse's weight bearing mm-hmm. capacity for mm-hmm. even just the backing process, let's say, 
I've if I'm backing a new horse and they've never carried a rider before, they're going from zero kilos of weight bearing to 80 kilos of weight bearing in one training session. And we're expecting them to just like be able to cope yeah. with that. And you can, you know, you feel like everything kind of like lock down and resist on that like gravitational pull of the weight as like the, you mm-hmm. know, they just need to know how to carry us first and we need mm-hmm. to condition them for the weight bearing. My horse has been out of work now for like four, four or five years since I had my son and he's, I think he's going to be 17 this year and he just has so much muscle wastage from not being in work. I I just won't sit on him until yeah. we have something that he can carry me with. Like we need some time yeah. first. We need some muscle development so that we can start introducing a little bit of weight bearing with him. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So one of the other things that you were saying is that I really enjoyed is that all of us are just making educated guesses that we see the horse from the bias of our experiences, our skill set and our education level. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I tend to see the world from my perspective and everybody sees and I get, you know, you get good at your thing. And so you start to see that everything is the problem that you excel at fixing, right? Everything <laughs> when you have a hammer, it looks like a nail. So a lot of times when I work with like, sometimes I'll teach with Jack Ballou and when I work with her and I watch her teach, I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. That's way more simple, you know, than, yeah. than what I was doing. But yeah, I think it's really easy and kind of totally normal to see the whole world through your perspective and your individual lens. Even if it's a good lens, it still is narrow. So mm. yeah, for sure. It's very, and it's, it's also very easy then to, you know, put the, those assumptions onto the the situation. I yeah. really enjoy, um, you know, some of the things that we work on, one of them being congruence is that the horse is, the internal environment is matching their behavior so that, you know, we're not like pushing them through resistance. We're trying to find a way mm-hmm. that they can choose what we're asking from them. When we get to that point of like relationship connection and congruence with the horse, I actually can't see a lot of what the rider is feeling because it's so subtle. And so mm-hmm. I like to take a lot of that from the rider themselves is like what be giving them permission to tell me what they're feeling, what they think will work, like really empowering the rider to be actively participating in the learning and not just being like, not just doing what I'm telling them to do, but Mm -hmm. working with the horse and telling me how the horse is responding to them because they are far more intimately connected than I ever will be as the trainer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's very important is to teach people how to be connected because a lot of people in their lessons are like, tell me what to do and I'll perform it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't learn how to feel the horse or think through things or, you know, really connect. Yeah. Yeah. My ultimate goal is for my students to not meet, need me <laughs> so they can yeah. they know how to work the problem themselves. But even, you know, in that, like I need people around me when I get stuck to help me work the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a teacher come out every week to take a look at the horses I'm working with and tell me where I'm going wrong and what I'm doing okay and what I need to improve and you know but I do 90% of my work without her so you know you want to be self-sufficient but you also want to be able to take direction Mm. learning to learn well you know yeah yeah being able to receive information from others and not just Mm -hmm. like close down and shut off to their experiences as well yeah Absolutely. So lovely 
so lovely talking to you. You were saying that you have a lunging course coming up. Yeah, it's almost done. So I'm just in the last little like technological details that are driving me crazy mm-hmm. trying to get the the site itself launched, but the mm-hmm. course content is finished. But it's a course for, it's called Six Weeks to Calm Forward and Straight. And it's a course for anyone who's introducing their horse or themselves to lunging and how to get the horse looser and more stable. Yeah, lovely. Very introductory lunging course. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Love it. So we will have the link to the lunging course if you'd like to have a look at it in the show notes. And we'll also have the link to Amy's socials with on Facebook and Instagram and to her website in the show notes. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for spending your time with us and sharing your experience with us. Is there anything that you would like to just... Any words of wisdom you'd like to part with us before we finish? Don't squat with your spurs on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was great to talk to you too. It was a lot of fun. I couldn't think of anything that just popped into my head. <laughs> that's so good. No, that's perfect. I love it. <laughs> Sounds like some like old cowboy wisdom, right? That's how you can take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's perfect i love it so much thank you so much for chatting with us and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon it sounds great thanks for having me if you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you if you're working with or riding horses you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.